record. Recording is. Hello, everybody. This is the Hockey News Podcast, still in video form. It's not really a podcast at all. It's not remotely a podcast. It's just a, it's a Zoom, but we're just going to call it the podcast. For the sake of branding, it's Matt Larkin here, and I'm joined by my buddies in their video windows, Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy. Uh, quickly, guys, Kenny, tell me how you're doing. Are you, are you still hanging in? I see you got a haircut. Yeah, I'm hanging in okay. I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, got my son home from university. My other son lives uh, with his girlfriend, so we don't see him as much. But uh, my son finished his exams the other day, and uh, he challenged me to beer pong, which I took him up on it, and he beat me in seven. So uh, it's all good here. We're, we're, we're hanging in okay. Excellent. And who, who cut the hair? You? Oh, wife? my wife. My wife cut my hair. Yeah, she's, she's multi-talented. Yeah, she did a great job, I think. It looks slick. I've got fantastic hair, but it's like it, it's, you know, you've got a lot to work with there, so it's hard to screw it up. That's fair. <laughs> and what about you, Ryan? How are you hanging in with two little rug rats? Well, we, uh, we just received Animal Crossing uh, in the mail, so uh, I no longer have to worry. That's, uh, that's their life now, and uh, that's fine. I, also, I need a haircut. Uh, fortunately, the headphones mask the jungle upon my head so a little bit of hollywood magic there yeah for sure it, i need it a looks like it's in control how you make it out matt you seem to be uh no worse for wear even though you've got uh you know you've got a little one and uh all kinds of stuff going on in your life well i'm worse for wear you just can't tell there's nothing i'm wearing nothing under here nothing no oh. pants no underwear oh, you guys are, no like none of us is wearing pants right or underwear not, like i don't wear pants anymore what are That's pants? the worst part. That's the worst part of the coronavirus. Like when this comes back, it's going to take me like a week to find my pants. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, we may as well launch into some hockey talk. It's been a while. Um, and what's going on this week? It feels like every day there's a new version of a circulating rumor of a season resumption. And thankfully, Gary Bettman even went on the record kind of talking about some of the ideas that it was, it was Matthew Caldwell in Florida that kind of got the ball rolling, but we now know there are some scenarios being discussed that involve probably four NHL arenas, maybe playing triple headers, and they've narrowed it down to probably about 12 teams. They're looking for, te for arenas that can house up to four dressing rooms at, at once for sanitization purposes, uh, and there's been talk about it, that they might be trying to do this as soon as July. Uh, there's also the crazy draft idea. We'll get to that next, but for starters, do you guys think that this this idea of a, of a season resumption playing out the rest of the regular season in July is realistic. Kenny, we'll start with you because I know you were already writing about it this week. Well, I, I think the NHL desperately wants it to happen. And, and obviously we all want it to happen. I think anybody w wants to see hockey come back. And I, I think it would be a real, um, it would really cause havoc if they couldn't, you know, somehow put some closure on this season. Um, but, but I mean, I think right now it's still some, some really wishful thinking. I, I, I applaud the NHL for coming up with these things because I mean, you've got to do something, you've got to think of something and they're blue skying right now. And, and, and that's fine. Like, I mean, this whole draft thing and everything, I, th I think, you know, I mean, that's how ideas end up sticking, right? You come up with these ideas, you float them, you see how they can work. And some, a lot of times they don't stick and sometimes they do. But, but I, I mean, I really worry about the logistics of this. Um, you know, I mean, I was listening to an interview with Mike Trout yesterday and he was saying, you know, 
my wife's due in, 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 in a couple of months my, with our first baby. Like, so what's he going to do? He's not going to miss that. So he's going to have to leave. And then, and then what's he going to have to do? Self-quarantine for two weeks before he comes back, that kind of thing. You know, what if a player tests positive? You know, then uh, I think a lot of dominoes end up falling over. Um, you know, I mean, like I said, I think it's wishful thinking. I don't think it's going to be the NHL's call. I think it's going to be the call of the health authorities and, uh, they are a little lucky, I guess, in that there are a lot of U.S. places that really want to get open again. Um, but uh, but right now, to me, I, I still think it's um, – I think it reeks of desperation. But this is a desperate time. I mean, this is a desperate time. They want to get the season in. Um, yeah. So uh, – but I don't I, – I don't I'm, – I'm not real sold on it yet. And, Ryan, what about you? I think that there's – I'm kind of with Ken that, you know, it's interesting what they're coming up with and there is possibilities, but in seeing that there's also a lot of problems, you know, I was on a conference call with Columbus Blue Jackets goalie Elvis Merz-Lickens yesterday, and he was, he's actually staying in Columbus. He didn't, he didn't go back to Europe uh, because his girlfriend has asthma and, you know, the doctors were telling him it's, it's best for her not to get on a plane and go, you know, stay in the suburbs of Columbus, and that would probably be your best bet. So, you know, as Ken was saying with the Mike Trout example, you know, what does Elvis Merz-Lickens do in this situation if, if he has to quarantine? Does he not see his girlfriend for a couple of months um, because of that risk? I, I tend to think that if they were to do these, uh, you know, neutral zone, sort of triple header style, uh, let's call them tournaments, they would be testing every single person into the arena um you know multiple times and you know maybe by the time we get to the summer we have the capability and the, the number of tests to, to make that happen and for it not to be controversial because keep in mind i mean we love hockey but not everybody loves hockey there might be some complaints that all these professional athletes are getting all these coronavirus tests when they could be going to other folks uh you know around the continent but I agree. You know, closure would be nice, but I, I also think that we need an answer pretty soon. I mean, if it's not going to happen, then let's just cut it off and say, okay, we believe by October we'll be able to have some semblance of normalcy where, you know, maybe the arenas aren't full. Maybe there's some kind of plan where only season ticket holders are in the rink and they're spread out or something like that. Uh, or maybe you play some games in an empty arena. It, it would be weird. Um, and, and again, Elvis Merzlikens was saying, like, he, he likes to steal energy from the crowd. He likes to feed off it. And he, he, he was like, I don't know what it would be like playing in an empty arena. I haven't played in one since I was a little kid, and it was just the moms and dads watching us. So it would be different. But I, I think it, it has to be figured out soon because – we know there's no appetite for the NHL to disrupt next season. Right. And that's a really good point. It's interesting because I, I did speak to Bill Daly, deputy commissioner in the NHL last week, and, and he sort of, to my surprise, said that there isn't a drop dead date. Because what I wanted to know was, was, is there a drop dead date for the 2019-2020? And he said, he was like, yeah, it's December 31st, 2020, in terms of just, if we, as long as we hand out the Stanley Cup in the year 2020, it's still on the table right now. And they couldn't get more specific than that. But the thing I don't really understand is the NHL seems to be sort of straddling the line between, you know, 
they've been very adamant saying they don't want to jeopardize the 2021 season. And the more they spitball these ideas for saving this current season, I, the less I understand based on their desire to preserve the 2021 season. Because if you're doing a full season resume, uh, the NHLPA has been pretty clear. They need three weeks of training camp. So that's three weeks already before you even play in any games of, of every player in the league, 31 teams being sequestered. And that's going to be a hard sell for guys on the Detroit Red Wings, te- teams that have no chance to make the playoffs. They're going to be leaving their families. Then you've got to play a little bit of an exhibition schedule. Then you've got about a dozen games on average left per team. So you're, gonna, you're looking at, I think, two months of hockey before you even get to the playoffs. That's two months of sequesterment before you get to the playoffs. And then if you're on a team that goes in deep run, you could be four months away from your family. So that's why I'm surprised that the NHL is still this all in on fully resuming the season. I understand that yes, for awards and scoring, you know, points races and even things that are admissible in contract negotiations, it's important, but I'm, I'm still wondering why they're not considering a play in tournament more seriously, because at least this way you can cut the number of teams down. So you have fewer players being sequestered. You get to the playoffs a lot quicker. Otherwise, the way things are going right now, like you're looking at a best-case scenario, you're starting the playoffs September, October, then you're awarding the Stanley Cup in December, then how are you going to get 2021 season to start on time and be full? So I don't get it. I see a contradiction there. Um, So the next question, of course, is the draft. And there's been the crazy idea being floated out there of having the draft before the resumption of the season. That opens up quite a can of worms. Uh, There are some pros, of course, and I know – some GMs, I think it was a story by Pierre Lebrun this week, you know, GMs, some of them were kind of indicating that, you know, for the, for the betterment of the game, for entertainment value, it gets exposure, it gets the hockey, the, the sport back out there sooner, fair enough. But I see a lot of cons. So, uh, Kenny, we'll go back to you here. What do you think of this idea? Do you think it's at all possible or is it just ridiculous? I think it's ridiculous. But... I, I definitely think it's possible. And, again, I'll go back to, you know, you, you've got to you've – gotta, come up with things to, you know, to throw out there and to discuss and to debate, um, you know, before you, you, you just totally dismiss them. The only thing that I would say about this is, is you touched on it, Matt, it gets the game out there. It gets, you know, creates buzz. To me, that's, I'm sorry, but that's not a good enough reason to do this. If that's, if, if, if that's your only objective, that's not a good enough reason to throw everything to, into havoc, in my opinion. I know Bill Daly has talked about, you know, the, the you know, they don't want to draft European players in the middle of their season and that kind of thing. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is those guys, none of those guys are going to be, you know, I don't think Lucas Raymond or maybe, maybe, maybe Stolte, maybe, you know, maybe one of those guys might have a chance to play in the NHL this year. But really, I mean, the vast majority of the, NH, of the European players are not going to be playing in the NHL in 2021. Um, so I, to me, I, I think it's, I think it's an idea that they're batting around. I think they could probably get around some of the conditional picks and things like that. They, I'm sure they would work something out, but to me, the bottom line to me is, is if, if the only objective is to create a buzz and to, and to get the sport out there at a time when nothing's going on, I, I don't think it's a good enough reason. Fair. And what about you, Ryan? Well, I mean, if we're talking about just the draft, then I, I think it's okay to create that buzz because it's going to be a virtual draft. We know that. Uh, you know, the NFL, it seemed like last night, um, I, I don't know how smoothly it went. It seemed like people were complaining about how slow 
it, it was taking, but I mean, everybody was talking about it. And I, I think the NHL probably is watching this draft and saying, okay, well, what can we do better? What can we, you know, uh, sort of steal from the NFL, which obviously is a, a juggernaut in, in sports entertainment. Um, it, you know, Ken, you made a good point about the, the European players probably not making it anyways. And uh, I was just talking to an agent the other day and we were talking about the idea of a 19-year-old draft, and you're saying how many 18-year-olds were really ready to play a full NHL season in the past decade or so? You know, obviously you have you know, your Connor McDavid's and your, your high-end guys like that, um, but a lot of players, you know, were late birthdays. Austin Matthews, for example, Patrick Kane. Um, you know, would it really be you know bad if they came in at you know at 19 and and maybe there are some exception so I, I think what you see there is a guy like Tim Stietzla or Lucas Raymond or Al Holtz yeah they're probably going to stay in Europe anyways so uh, for me I say you know why not do the draft as soon as possible all the teams have already done their research I know from talking to both agents and GMs they're doing a ton of calls uh, with these players right now in lieu of the draft combine because they don't know if there will be one so you know you're not going to get your dinners with these kids that they usually have uh, in Buffalo when they do the draft combine week. It's something to put on the calendar, something for people to get excited about. And, you know, I understand there is the counter argument of, oh, well, what if a team that was on the bubble of the playoffs wins the draft lottery and then when hockey comes back, they win the Stanley Cup? I say fine. You know, we've talked about this over the years, particularly with teams like the Edmonton Oilers. Um, you know, constantly winning the draft uh, lottery. We say, oh, you, know, you should only win it you know, once every three years or something like that. You, you should reward it with draft picks uh, for being more competitive. I, I say that's fine. If, if a team on the bubble, like say Vancouver or Arizona, um, ended up getting Lafreniere and then went on some miraculous run in September or whenever the playoffs happened to be, I think that's okay. You know, we're, we're so used to the status quo that we just kind of accept it. But I mean, this is going to be a season like any other and, uh, or sorry, like no other, I, I suppose is more accurate. And I think you have the draft, you have these players knowing where their NHL rights lie for next season and, and teams will adjust. It's, it's going to be different, but teams will adjust and, I think you might as well do it now because otherwise you're going to be drafting players that are already back with their junior teams. And then, I mean, then you're going to have to really rework your draft board because what if somebody gets really hurt? What if somebody goes in the tank? What if somebody really takes off? And I say you might as well do it now. And I, I do think you make a good point in terms of, you know, it's not the first time that there's been a draft lottery situation where this was unprecedented. It's like, you know, was it fair that the Buffalo Sabres got to spin a wheel and pick Gilbert Perot, or was it fair that the Penguins got the Crosby lottery in, in 05? Probably not. And people don't really think about that or talk about it much anymore. Um, so I, I get it from a certain standpoint. I understand it as well. It's like, if you're trying to get, if you're trying to get to the 2021 season quicker, then it's like, okay, let's cross off anything on our to-do list that can be done without hockey being played. So fair enough, the draft theoretically could go first. But I still think the logistical nightmares, to me, the, the cons outweigh the pros still just 
the, the number one problem is the conditional draft picks. It's an absolute mess to figure out. I still think the draft lottery, there would be some, some teams that are up in arms. Even teams like the Ottawa Senators, who are already, because they have theirs in San Jose's pick, they're already positioned for the best odds. But, like, the Senators could be thinking, oh, what if San Jose had a nice little losing streak to end the year? And then our odds are even better of having the top two picks. It could really change the face of their franchise. And there's little things, like there's no trades that can happen on draft day. And that's a big part of the entertainment of the draft. The draft is always tied to the UFA negotiation window. It usually kicks off the clock. So it would really kind of scramble the offseason. So for me, just for the, the entertainment of the fans for one or two days, I don't think it offsets all the problems that it would cause, uh, just the ripple effect of logistical things that – the league would have to sort through, I think would be just a major headache. It gives me a headache just thinking about it, especially the conditional picks. Um, but you never know. I, I, I'm skeptical that we'll see that, but it could happen. Um, moving on to some player news. So we know within the past week, Dustin Bufflin, it feels like his contract was terminated months ago, but it wasn't official until this past week. He is now a UFA. The contract is done, or he will be a UFA uh, whenever, you know, hockey's quote unquote back. Uh, 35 years old. Uh, so I, I guess my question is, it's sort of a two-part question. Do we think he's going to play again? If he does play again, where do you see him ending up? So maybe we'll switch it up this time. Ryan, we'll start with you on this one. My gut says that whenever this season starts, Dustin Bufflin is going to be back at home, living the good life. I, I, I don't think – part of me says he doesn't play at all this season. I think maybe he's done. Or maybe he does a Justin Williams, Tamu Solane thing where he sits out most of a season and then he, you know, he, he joins midway through because he's willing to play sort of half. And in that scenario, I think the most likely team for him would be either Minnesota because that's his home state and that would be very easy geographically or Chicago because, you know, he had so many good years with the Hawks. And, you know, he signs for the minimum. You know, this is a team that's in transition, but they're, they're, very, they're still very interesting. You know, you've got the young kids coming up, uh, like Kirby Doc, and obviously uh, Dominic Kabalik was, uh, you know, pushing his way into the Calder conversation when everything got paused. But you still have Taves and Kane. So, you know, I think, you know, maybe Bufflin could play a little bit with the Hawks. Um, and when and I guess we also have to say like is it this season or is it the 2021 season? You know, I mean, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. But I think either way, I think Dustin Bufflin gets in at least one good season of ice fishing, and then maybe he considers playing a little more hockey um, before he officially wraps it up. But I I feel like he might be done. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kenny, what do you see in your crystal ball? Yeah, I'm, I'm with Chris Versteeg on this one. I think he's done. Um, I mean, it, it just – I wonder what sense it would make for him to come back. That being said, I mean, even at the age of 35, even after missing an entire season and having reconstructive surgery on his ankle everything, I, I still think if he decided to come back, there would be some teams that would be very, very interested in having him. And like I wrote, if – you know, I mean – if and this is not a Toronto centric thing, but if he were available, motivated, ready, and healthy, and ready to play, if the Toronto Maple Leafs didn't do everything they could to sign this guy, then their entire front office should be fired on the spot. You know, I, I mean that this is exactly like he's exactly what they need. Um, but 
but anyways, I, I don't think he's going to come back. I mean, he's turned his back on $14 million, $8 million last year, $6 million this year. There's absolutely no way, even in the, even, even, Oh, even in a best case scenario that he would have, that he's going to get that money somewhere else after missing a year. But now we're looking at either one of a significant rollback in salaries, huge escrow or a really low salary cap. Like it's a terrible time to be an unrestricted free agent. This year is going to be a terrible time to be an unrestricted free agent. And he willingly made himself an unrestricted free agent. Um, I, I, I get that this is not all about money because if it were, he would have just come back, had the surgery last year, come back and, and collected his money as a, as a player who was hurt on LTIR. Um, I get that it's not about money, but I, I just can't imagine a guy turning his back on that kind of money and then coming back and playing for, you know, really of what's going to be a fraction of that. Yeah. I think you make really good points there, Kenny, about the money. Um, and, and I'm probably with you guys as well. You know, when you think about Buffalo, he's 35 years old, he's got 935 games under his belt. And he's a guy who, when he's in peak health is probably at minimum 260 pounds. So you've got a frame that who knows what he weighs right now. You know, he's not in game shape. He might be 275, he might be 280, maybe more. Uh, and, and he's, that frame is, is being supported by a reconstructed ankle. Uh, so I, I'm pretty skeptical that we'll ever see him play again. Uh, but I, I agree that, you know, when he's healthy, when he's in the lineup, I, I've said this for years, there's no other Dustin Buffalo. He's one of the most unique players I've ever seen. And I think the Florida Panthers would be a team that would be extremely interested in him. His coach, Joel Quenville, from the Stanley Cup winning days, Dale Talon, when uh, Chicago drafted Buffalo, was the assistant GM in Chicago. Uh, and, of course, we know that the Panthers have been on the record. They desperately want another defenseman for their top four, especially you know, when you reach a point where Michael Matheson is getting shifts at forward. There was clearly not a trust there between player and coach. So I think the Panthers are probably, more than any team in the league, desperate to add at defense uh, whenever the next offseason comes. So I think there would be a fit there, uh, but I just don't. I'm pretty skeptical that Bufflin wants to play again. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Uh, so in the, in the world of streaming, uh, I think this week, I know, I know personally I was like anticipating this for weeks and months, especially when they bumped it up, but the last dance, the Chicago Bulls uh, documentary series, focusing on Michael Jordan, going through the whole, his whole career in the 97, 98 season. It's been a real event and sports lovers have just been going crazy for it. I've watched the first couple episodes. It's phenomenal. Uh, and I think people have been really craving it because it's the closest thing to new sports content we've gotten right during the shutdown. So it kind of got me thinking, what would be the, the, the hockey version uh, in terms of a subject you'd like to see covered in a similar documentary? We know, you know ESPN 30 for 30, the closest they've done, they've done the Gretzky trade. So they've covered, they've done some hockey stuff. But I'm curious what you guys think. What would be your subject for your 10 episode Netflix series on a hockey subject? So Kenny you started off. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm probably going to go off the board a little bit with you guys uh, because I'm old and, uh, and because I've got a fixation with the Montreal Canadians history. Um, but I, 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 I know it's not possible, but if it were possible, I, I would want to go back to the Montreal Canadians Stanley cup dynasty team of 56 to 60 and centered around Rocket Richard because I mean, Rocket Richard was a great player. He was, you know, one of the all time greats. I don't think he's the greatest player in Montreal Canadiens history. I think John Bellabo is, but he's one of the greatest players the Montreal Canadiens have ever had. Um, but what I think people don't realize is in the last three years of that cup run, he wasn't very good. He wasn't great. He was really on the decline and he actually, you know, he actually only 
play a lot of those last five years because his brother Henri had made the team and he wanted to play with him. So, um, so I think, I think that dynamic would be really cool. And, you know, I hear about things like, you know, Toe Blake used to make the Canadians weigh in every day. Like you had to weigh in every day and you had to meet us, you know, your, your, your weight every day. And by the end, you know, Rocket Richard wasn't having to do that. I would have loved to have heard what his teammates would have thought of that and whether they thought maybe they were carrying this guy a little bit towards the end of his great career or whatever. Another one I'd like to see involves the Montreal Canadiens, and this goes back even further, like the 36-37 season for Howie Morenz, who was the first, you know, one of the first superstars the league has ever had. That was the year he broke his leg. He died. You know, there's so much mystique around how he died and you know a lot of people say he drank a ton other people say he didn't i'd like to get to the bottom of actually you know what his lifestyle was like what it you know what happened they say he died of a broken heart but actually he probably died of a blood clot you know like it just it's just there's so much mystery and aura around it it'd be interesting to untangle all of that with you know the characters that actually lived it so uh, mine's a bit pie in the sky but that's what i'd love to see those are awesome picks. Love it. Especially the Maurice Richard one, because the way that the Jordan one is structured, they kind of start the beginning of his career and then the end, and they meet them together. So you could have early Richard, you know, all the things he went through, the Richard riots, and then you have them all meet together. So I love that in particular. Uh, Ryan, what you got? I'm going to go with Yarmir Yager. Um, I, I've watched the, the first two episodes of The Last Dance. I was never a Bulls or Jordan fan, so um, I, I think it's been good. Um, but I'm, I'm sort of like episode to episode at this point. Mm-hmm. But I think with Yager, you have so much to delve into. You know, I mean, hotshot kid wins back-to-back Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. You have the Olympic gold medal with the Czechs. You know, an event so famous that they made an opera about it back in the Czech Republic. You have his disastrous Washington tenure you have a bit of a rebirth with the Rangers. Then you have him become the first star in the KHL where he goes over to Avangard Omsk for three years. He comes back. He's still playing today, well into his 40s with the team he owns. Um, there's so much to go into. You know, he's such a big personality. He wears number 68, um, you know, because of 1968 and what, you know, the, the Prague Spring and what that meant to the history of the Czech Republic and Czechoslovakia, as it was known back then. Um, you know, everybody you talk to, even late in his NHL career when he was with teams with the, like the Bruins, you know, his work ethic, how much, you know, he used to put in after games, going back to the rink. I, I mean, there's just a wealth of information. And, you know, he was a colorful guy. You know, the, the famous mullet back when he was a teenager in those early years. Um, just so much material to go off. I, I think you would have some incredible stories. And there were so many highs in his career that I think it'd be pretty fascinating. That's another really good pick. I like it. Um, my pick, even though it's funny, I, I created the game, but I'm immediately breaking the rules and kind of go, like, instead of focusing on a, a certain team or player, I think I would focus on one season. Boo! Uh, but it, it's really, if you look back the 92-93 season, uh, it was maybe the craziest in the history of hockey. Just so many amazing thing happen, things happened. It was the highest scoring season in terms of goals scored, I, I believe, in hockey history. But even just uh, in addition to that, I wrote down a few of them because there's just so many. Uh, you have, you know, the Eric Lindros trade preceding the season. You have Eric Lindros debuting. 
uh, in Philly, you have Timu Slaney scoring 76 goals as a rookie. You have Manon Rayon becoming the first woman to play in an NHL game. You have Mariel Mew having cancer treatment midseason, coming back, having maybe, in my opinion, the greatest individual season ever by a hockey player. He was out on the pace of rough, roughly 92 goals, around 213, 215 almost. He was on the, the, the scoring pace of the goals and points record. Despite having cancer in the middle of the season and having to get treatment, Penguins won 17 games in a row. You had Montreal Canadiens winning 10 straight overtime games in the playoffs. You had the stick measurement game in, in overtime and game, I think it was game one of the final. Uh, just so many things happened that, that year that it was sort of a magical season, and I'd love to see it chronicled. Uh, and, of course, you know, if you're Leaf fans, you'd think that the center of that season was the, the Gretzky high stick and Carrie Fraser, et cetera. But uh, just so much went down. It was magical, in my opinion. That was that was a great that's a great pick. I mean, and I mean the the, the series between the Islanders and the Penguins, uh, you know, where the Islanders had a, an enormous upset of the like like this Penguins team. This might have been better. This team might have been better and more equipped to win the Stanley Cup than the ones that won the first two mm -hmm. uh, that they won in '91 and '92. And yeah, I mean, you're right with you know Montreal's all of Montreal's overtime games. Um, I, I I'm pretty sure the the high stick game was game two. I think it was either game two or game three for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's a great pick. I like that. Excellent. Uh, so we have time for a few uh, reader questions or listener questions, watcher questions, whatever you want to call them. Uh, the first one is from the Kurt Locker. Best picture Oscar 2009. Uh, yeah. And Kurt asks, if the NHL season is canceled, how would you go about fantasy hockey payouts? What situations would you pay back entry fees for? What situation would you see prizes being awarded for? Uh, so I'll, I'll start with this one because I've sort of been dealing with this already. Um, there's a few options I wrote down for you, Kurt. One is you can go with the Fantasy Fantasy Hockey League, which is what we've been doing with my own league. Um, you can take all the rosters in the league, populate them in a video game like NHL 20, have those teams play out your playoffs and decide that that's the closest thing you're going to get to a simulation of, of the end of a season if the season doesn't resume. That's one possibility. Um, another one, this is, came from uh, a reader on Twitter. I love this idea. Um, what the reader suggested was take all of your entry fees and your prize money and donate it to charity. Donate it you know, to someone or a business or to the construction of masks, whatever it is, something that's been touched or, or hurt by COVID-19. I think that's an amazing idea. I think that's what we're going to do with, uh, in my league with our money or at least it's what I'm going to try and encourage people to do um, the other thing you can do it, it's probably the most boring but maybe the most fair is you just you look at the final standings and you do tiered payouts so instead of a big grand prize for the winner you just say first place gets x second place and you kind of go down the list everyone gets increasingly or, or decreasing sized payouts so those would be three possibilities to consider uh, what about you guys do you have any other ideas that I didn't cover if you do let me know we'll start with uh, Ken on this one no, I don't have any ideas because I'm not a nerd. <laughs> Go outside, connect with your family, read a book. I don't know. Like, I don't get any of this stuff. I don't even know what you're talking about. And I don't pretend to know and I don't want to know. So there you go. Okay, Boomer. <laughs> what about Ryan? I don't play fantasy. Yeah, I don't play fantasy hockey because uh, I feel that I would go way too deep down a rabbit hole. Um, but I think uh, as our fantasy expert, Matt has covered this off quite yep. well. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You're the man on this one, Matt. 
although I'm, I'm, I haven't won a game in our fantasy fantasy league. Although it's crazy, the actual entertainment level, because we put the game on, we set the broadcast camera settings, and it's remarkable how into it people have gotten. Like you're watching the game, and you're, you get fired up watching your team. It's really bizarre. It shows how craved or how, how, how starved we all are for, for sports. Uh, next question is from Ernie Morris. Um, and Ernie asks, uh, what can Columbus fans realistically expect from Mikhail Gregorenko next season? And a bonus question, does Liam Foody make the roster next year? So, again, uh, we'll, we'll go fairly quick for this one. I, Mikhail Gregorenko, what was the one knock on Gregorenko in his draft year? Why did he fall? It was work ethic. So, I don't see how he's going to fit with Tortorella. Uh, um, so, I, I don't have very high expectations for him. As for Liam Foody, uh, we know he got hurt at the beginning of the season. And it's very telling that Columbus, when they had injuries, they reached past their own AHL roster to recall Foody. That's how highly they think of him. So I do think he'll be playing in the NHL next year. So that's, those are my two quick answers. Ryan, we'll go with you now. Yeah, I think with Grigorenko, um, you're looking at maybe a power play specialist. You know, the Columbus power play was not good this season. Um, I, I, I think, you know, if you look at the dollar amount um, and you look at the resume, expectations shouldn't be very high. You're looking at a guy who's probably like a bottom sixer that's not – great defensively, um, which is sort of, um, you know, a, a paradox, I know, but I, I think maybe he can give you some sort of tertiary scoring. And, you know, it's an experiment. And, you know, apparently, he spoke with Vladislav Gavrikov and Fedor Tutin um, before he signed. And obviously, he's gonna have to resign because the contract was uh, nullified, I think, probably because of uh, the timing of it. But, you know, he knows what he's getting into. Um, as for Liam Foody, uh, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, there's the possibility that he kind of bounces between the NHL and the AHL next season, uh, just to make sure that he is prepared for that grind. He has played a little bit of AHL before, you know, once his OHL season was finished last year, he joined up with the Cleveland Monsters. Um, I actually saw one of those games. And so, you know, he, he got a taste of it, but I think because of Foody's speed, He's the type of player that, you know, you could stick him on the fourth line or the third line and say, use your speed to forecheck. And as you get more comfortable in the NHL, your role will increase. So I think Tortorella is going to really like this kid. And it's just a matter of getting him, you know, the seasoning needed to be a full-timer. Um, but I think that path begins next year. Okay. And Kenny. With Gregorenko. Oh, sorry, Matt, were you going to say something? Or? Oh, no, I just said Ken. Oh, okay. <laughs> With Gregorenko, I think what you're going to get is some awesome, awesome post-game press conferences with John Tortorella. Unless he's unless this guy's changed, and he, maybe he has. I mean, Alexander Radulov did when he went to the KHL. Um, so unless this guy changed, Tortorella's going to hate this guy <laughs> and it's going to be awesome in the post-game press conferences to, to listen to how frustrated he's going to be. I, I think, you know, like I said, I, I mean, anyone can change people mature, they get it. And if he has, maybe, it, maybe it works, maybe it fits, but unless this guy's changed a lot, I think Tortorella's going to hate this guy. As far as foodie, I, 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 I put him in with, I think a lot of prospects that I would be concerned about right now, just because their season was cut off, right? Mm -hmm. And they didn't get a chance to finish. They didn't get a chance to go through the playoffs. They didn't get a chance to play all of that hockey that they would have been playing, you know, basically right now and for the next little while. And 
you know, we've talked about, you know, if the NHL comes back later next year, I mean, it's going to be a truncated training camp. Teams aren't going to be looking at guys. They're going to be like team building right away because they know they're going to have to start the season probably right away, you know, very quickly. Yes. So I, I wonder if, if a lot of prospects like that aren't going to get lost in the shuffle and have to go down and, and, and earn their place in the minors first. I mean, there is a spot there for him. I think he can, he can do it, but I worry about whether or not he'll be able to hit the ground running uh, you know, when the, when the league starts up again. Very good points. Well, uh, fellas, I think that's going to wrap it up for this podcast. Uh, great chat with you. Great seeing your faces. And uh, what do you say we do this again sooner rather than later next time? So, you know, we had a few weeks between. Maybe we get back on the horse sooner. And uh, well, we do another stuff to talk about. So go ahead, Matt. There's going to be stuff to talk about. There always is. That's right. Well, thanks, guys. And thanks for everyone watching. And uh, we will... Hopefully see you soon.